History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spooktacular people. Welcome to this 422nd episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast, Ghost Tours for the Theater of the Mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Kelly. And Kelly, we are the COVID twins on this episode. We are. So you'll have to excuse our voices. We finally got hit by the COVID, so we might be sounding a little bit off. We're bringing to you a couple of locations. These were suggested by our listener, Angela Wallingford, Cincinnati's Union Terminal and Art Museum. Got some ghosts going on in both these locations, and they have a great history, too. Looking forward to it. Before we get into that, we want to welcome into the Spooktacular crew, I hope I say this right, Kajel, it's K-J-E-L-L, Mike, Armstrong, Patty, I'm thinking her first name is really Patty, Tony, Brittany, Bonnie, and Julie. Thank you for joining us in our Facebook group. And now, this moment, Noddity. The moment in oddity was suggested by Jill Phoenix Martinez. Dead Man's Hole is located a few miles south of Marble Falls in Burnett County, Texas. This is a limestone sinkhole with a 7-foot diameter opening and a depth around 15 stories deep. In 1951, a group of spelunkers from the University of Texas explored the hole. They found natural gases coming from the hole, so they had to use special breathing apparatuses. They found that the hole split into two arms— Imagine their surprise when they found the bones of 17 people in the bottom of the hole. There had been a large oak tree that sat here once, and it was used for hanging people. Sometimes the bodies were discarded into the hole. There was a group of zealous secessionist Texans in the area named Fire Eaters, and they killed anyone who didn't share their views. One of the men they killed was a New York-born judge named John Scott, and they dumped his bullet-riddled body into the hole. The Fire Eaters hanged a man named Adolph Hopp, from the oak tree and cut his body down so that it would fall into the hole. The final body identified belonged to Benjamin McKeever, and his was a retribution killing done by the friends of a man he killed. The bag of bones retrieved from Dead Man's Hole were taken to the Burnett County Courthouse and eventually disappeared. Why they were taken to a courthouse is anybody's guess. The hole is now part of a park and is covered by a metal grate. Dead Man's Hole and that lost bag of bones certainly are odd. up tight. That chill you feel isn't the air conditioning. (laughs) And now, this month in history. In 
month of February on the 5th in 1919, United Artists was created. Actors wanted to be able to control their own interests rather than being dependent on the big studios. United Artists was formed by Charlie Chaplin, Mary Pickford, Douglas Fairbanks, and D.W. Griffith, and it quickly did well because these were all big-name stars. Veteran producers eventually joined, but by the 1940s, the studio was struggling financially. The production studio was sold in 1951, and UA only financed and distributed films, with the original partners selling their shares in the mid-1950s. Successful films like The African Queen and West Side Story and franchises like James Bond and The Pink Panther helped UA to thrive again. Several Best Picture Oscars came in the 1970s, but then UA began to struggle again. In 1981, it merged with MGM and eventually became a boutique producer of smaller films, before being acquired by Tom Cruise and his production partner, Paula Wagner. Later, the UA brand was subsumed into MGM and in 2018 became United Artists Digital Studios, which it still is today. Union Terminal in Cincinnati, Ohio, was one of the last great American train stations built and has the largest half dome in the Western Hemisphere. The terminal has helped tourists get around, welcomed World War II soldiers home, and now features several museums. The unique Art Deco building also served as an inspiration for the Justice League's Hall of Justice. The Cincinnati Art Museum has stood for over 136 years. Both of these locations have several ghost stories. Join us as we explore the history and hauntings of Cincinnati's Union Terminal and Art Museum. After the Great Flood of 1884, Cincinnati was in need of a plan for railroad traffic. The city had several stations, all of which were too close to the Ohio River, and so they were prone to flooding. Plans were delayed over the years by the Depression of 1920 and World War I, but by 1927, seven of the biggest railroads had reached an agreement and chosen a site for their one massive terminal building. The site was in the West End near the Mill Creek. Architectural firm Fellheimer and Wagner were chosen to design the building and they started with a Gothic-style structure, but eventually chose Art Deco. The Union Terminal Company was formed to construct the building, and that began in 1928. 5.5 million cubic yards needed to be hauled in to fill in the Mill Creek Valley. Construction was finished ahead of schedule at a cost of $41.5 million. The complex officially opened on March 31, 1933. The terminal complex had 22 buildings covering 287 acres, with the main structure set as a T-shape with a long half-dome over it and five floors. The main facade was inspired by the Helsinki Central Station in Finland. There are seven limestone mullions, with two of them supporting a large central clock made from 52 panes of glass. Neon tubing was added to the hands, giving them an orange-red hue. Behind the mullions is a semicircle of frosted windows. There are two bas-relief carvings made by Maxfield Keck on each end of the arch. The north carving represents transportation, and the south carving represents commerce. Nine doors lead into a marble vestibule, and the rotunda with its interior dome that spanned 180 feet and rose 106 feet. The design of the complex featured three concentric lanes of traffic for cars and taxis, buses, and streetcars. 
94 miles of track brought in and out 216 trains a day carrying around 17,000 passengers. That was a busy place. Yeah, definitely. The exterior of the main terminal was constructed from steel, concrete, masonry curtain walls, and fine-grained limestone. That limestone, Kelly, includes the fossils of snails, sea lilies, brachiopods, and other organisms, and you can see them. Very cool. I would be hanging out there just so I could look at all of the limestone and see what I could find, kind of like a scavenger hunt. (laughs) There is also Cold Spring Dark Rainbow Granite. The original dome was terracotta, and that was replaced with aluminum sheathing in 1945. Other parts of the complex include a washing platform, cinder pit, coaling station, a power plant, two electric substations, a roundhouse, water treatment plant, a mail handling building, and an express terminal. The express building was two stories tall with offices on the second floor. This was 742 feet long and had platforms with canopies. The Western Hills Viaduct spans the rail yards and is 3,500 feet long. The interior of the terminal was very bright with lots of light and warm colors. The marble in the rotunda is 150 million years old and features fossils. There was red and yellow Verona marble and dark red Tennessee marble. The dome ceiling was plastered in yellow and orange. Everything was accented in aluminum. The flooring was terrazzo of a gray and rose coloring, divided by brass strips. The pattern flowed in such a way that it guided people to and from the main entrance and platforms. The rotunda has murals depicting American and Cincinnati history. The heating was ahead of its time, with ramps being heated and hot air venting from behind light fixtures. The rotunda had a semicircular central information desk and ticket kiosk with 18 ticket windows. There was a newsstand, tobacco shop, soda fountain, drugstore, telegraph center, a tea room, a small theater, clothing shops, and two dining rooms. The waiting rooms featured marble and wainscoting with zebrawood, walnut, and holly. They were connecting bathrooms that had marble walls and showers. Sounded very lush, very high budget. The train concourse was demolished in 1974. American oak leather upholstered settees and chairs and aluminum frames were used for seating rather than wood benches. The interior featured industrial mosaics made by Weinold Reese, and I hope I said that right, representing 15 local businesses. These look like they were very, very cool. Piano manufacturing from the Baldwin Piano Company, radio broadcasting from Crosley Corp., roof manufacturing from Philip Carey Company, leather production from American Oak Leather Company, airplane manufacturing from Ernalka Company, ink making from Alt and Weeborg Corporation, laundry machinery manufacturing from American Laundry Machine, meat packing from Econ and Sons, pharmaceutical production from William S. Merrill Company, printing from U.S. Playing Card Company and Champion Paper Company, Steel Manufacturing from American Rolling Hills, Armco. Rolled Steel Manufacturing, Andrew Steel Company and Newport Rolling Mill. Soap Making from Procter & Gamble. And Machine Tools Manufacturing from Cincinnati Milling Machine. I think they covered pretty much every kind of manufacturing you can do. Pretty much, yeah. Now, wow. So, you know, you got all these mosaics in there, and I just told you that the train concourse was demolished. Well, they weren't about to demolish those mosaics. So, they moved them to different locations. Several were moved back to the complex and placed in the museum. It took three months to remove the murals, and it was very difficult. Two of them can be seen in the movie Rain Man, and that was in the airport. Oh, wow. And they've been moved from one place in the airport to another, so I'm not exactly sure where they're located now. But you could just imagine moving these entire walls of these mosaics. I'm just glad they were able to preserve them. Indeed, because I think they're probably pretty cool to see. Now I want to 
check out Rain Man and see if I can see some of them. <laughs> Actually, all you got to do is Google and you can see some of them. I'll see if I can grab some of the pictures and I'll put them up on Instagram. Passenger train service would come to an end on October 28, 1972. Eventually, it would return in 1991 when Amtrak started operating out of the Union Terminal. The complex had never been very busy. People in the city called it a white elephant. Traveling by train was already losing its luster by the time it opened, with the only uptick coming during World War II. By 1962, only 24 trains were passing through the terminal. The city decided to brainstorm some other uses for the building. The Cincinnati Science Center opened in 1968, but closed soon after in 1970. Just before demolition was scheduled, the terminal was nominated and placed on the National Register of Historic Places. Thank goodness. It just is amazing to me that they built this huge complex with all these big plans and dreams. And although at the very beginning it had, you know, 17,000 passengers coming through there, it quickly didn't last very long. I guess not. And so then you think you've got this huge complex. What are you going to do with it? Well, they came up with a lot of uses for it. Southern Railway bought the passenger yard and turned it into a freight yard. And they had the terminal concourse demolished, which we just described earlier. The city of Cincinnati purchased the terminal in 1975 and started looking for tenants. Columbus-based Skilkin organization stepped forward with plans to turn the building into a mall called the Land of Oz. Their plan included a bowling alley and ice skating rink. Cincinnati awarded them a lease and the developer spent $20 million renovating the terminal. They installed retail shops and restaurants, but the bowling alley and skating rink never happened. There were 54 vendors and 8,000 visitors a day coming through after it opened in August of 1980. But as we know, I mean, the 80s was a big time for malls. It's kind of one of the things they highlight in Stranger Things. Kelly, you and I were definitely hanging out in malls when we were teenagers. We were. But by the following year, tenants were already moving out of the mall and Oz closed in 1984. So we had another white elephant here. Part of the building was renovated to become the Cincinnati Museum of Health, Science and Industry, which opened in 1982. This would be joined by the Cincinnati Historical Society and Cincinnati Museum of Natural History and later the Omnimax Theater and Synergy Children's Museum were added. All the museums are known as Cincinnati Museum Center today. When Amtrak started service here again, the former men's lounge was turned into their waiting room and ticket counter. Major renovations to the entire complex were started in 2016 and completed in 2018. Another museum was added in 2019, Nancy and David Wolf Holocaust and Humanity Center. The Rookwood Tea Room had that name because it was completely decorated in Rookwood pottery tiles. During World War II, it operated as a USO center, and in 1980, it became a G.D. Ritzy's Ice Cream and Chili Parlor. Then it was a United Dairy Farmers Ice Cream Shop. Today, it's a Grater's Ice Cream Parlor. Have you ever been to a G.D. Ritzy's? I have not. Okay, so I didn't know that this was a franchise until I was doing the research for this, apparently, because I'm like, G.D. Ritzy's, I thought we had the only one that was ever made in Aurora, Colorado, where I grew up. How funny. It was literally behind our house. We could walk to it. This was the coolest place because it embraced the 50s, and I was totally into the 50s when I was in high school. Oh, did they have a soda counter and everything? They they did. They had malts. All of the decorations were pictures of, you know, Elvis Presley and Marilyn Monroe. They played music on the jukebox from back in that day. It was the coolest place. We loved eating there. They had great burgers. And of course, they had the ice cream and stuff. And my sister, when we were in high school, had a 57 Chevy station wagon. So, I mean, we pull up in that thing and it was like we were just going back in time. 
Very cool. I'm a little bit jealous. Yeah. So when I saw the name, I was like, oh my gosh, I know that place. For years, people have claimed that the complex is haunted. One of the stories is connected to a World War II plane. A ghostly pilot has been seen inside the plane on several occasions. Can you imagine looking up there and going, is that a mannequin? I hope it is. (laughs) Until it starts waving at you. There are mysterious sounds that seem to harken back to the war with the sounds of people crying and welcoming back soldiers. You know, there would have been a ton of emotion as they were sending them off to war or they're coming back from war. Absolutely. So you can imagine that being locked into this limestone-constructed building. The disembodied plane of children is also heard. The most famous ghost that is here belongs to a former 50-year-old security guard named Shirley Baker. She had been working here for a year when the sound of breaking glass was heard on September 6, 1989. Shirley told co-workers that she was going to investigate and was never seen alive again. When she didn't return after a while, her co-workers went looking for her and found the broken glass and Shirley's car was missing. Eventually, her body was found in a shallow grave in Claremont County which I was like, oh my gosh, that's the name of our city. She'd been kicked to death. Three men were apprehended for the murder after two years. Shirley's apparition has been seen roaming the hallways, and she checks the doors to make sure they're locked by rattling the doorknobs. She's spooked many of the cleaning crews. One of the employees, Jessica Urban, was in a storage room when she felt a strong cold spot and then a flash of blue, and she was sure it was Shirley. Angie shared an experience that she had there. I do have personal encounters here. There was a replica of an ice cave in the Natural History Museum. At the end of the cave was a small pool of water with a waterfall and large chunks of ice. Leading a group one evening, which I had done hundreds of times, I watched as a dark shadow rose from behind one of the ice chunks and run into the waterfall. A co-worker was walking down a ramp in a gallery near this ice cave. She saw a shadow moving quickly up the ramp. She froze. The shadow went through her with a cold gust of wind. I was working an overnight one evening in the Natural History Museum. I needed to go to the offices on the second floor. There was a big fancy event happening in the rotunda, so I wasn't able to take my normal route through the rotunda and up the elevator. I had to take the stairs, which I had only done a handful of times before. I walked out of the stairwell and into a long hall. To my left overlooked the rotunda. To my right, a lot of doors. As I walked, I mumbled that I had no idea where I'm going when a door opened. I peeked in, and it was the door I needed. I walked through, saying, thanks, Shirley, and the door closed behind me. I later told my supervisor about this. She looked at me wide-eyed and told me that Shirley had been known to open the doors for women, but slams them on men. Well, isn't that kind of interesting? Very cool. Thanks for sharing those, Angie. And yeah, Shirley definitely has a little bit of anger towards men. Seems that way. And now a little break for a word about one of our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Surfshark. Get Surfshark VPN at surfshark.deals slash bump. Enter promo code bump for 83% off and three extra months for free. Kelly, you wouldn't go outside without pants on, would you? Heck no. Although I may or may not have done that in a Zoom meeting. (laughs) Right. You want to keep certain things private. And that's the way it is on the internet. Surfing the web without a VPN is like not putting your pants on. How does a VPN do that? VPNs keep your information safe and private by encrypting or blurring out the information. 
Nobody can snoop on you while you're online. With all our traveling to haunted locations, it sure would be nice to have that kind of protection when using public Wi-Fi. And we have to send and receive files when traveling, too. So this would make doing that secure as well. And Kelly, I know how you like to shop online. Did you know that some of those websites will use your location to decide on what price to charge? A VPN can help you get the best deals. Awesome. And I have the perfect VPN that is proven to be very easy to use, affordable, and can be used on all our devices. Surfshark. Uh, A surfing shark can keep us secure? I mean, I know a shark would be great protection if you could control it, but... No, Surfshark VPN. People can try Surfshark risk-free with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Get Surfshark VPN at surfshark.deal/bump. Enter promo code BUMP for 83% off and three extra months free. That's right, three extra months for free. You know, somebody needs to come up with a VPN that keeps ghosts from following us home. Now we have the Cincinnati Art Museum. In the late 1800s, public art museums were just gaining steam in America. In 1881, the Cincinnati Museum Association was formed with the goal of founding an art museum in the city. Their first goal was to find funding, and they found a large donor in Charles West. He was a successful local businessman and philanthropist, and he donated $150,000. The Cincinnati Art Museum sits on a hill in Eden Park because that is where West wanted the building to be built. Other people had wanted downtown Cincinnati on Washington Park or Burnett Woods, but when you put up the big bucks, you get to choose the location. West did something else that helped raise funds. He challenged the citizens of the city to raise matching funds within a year. The citizens met the challenge in a month. That's pretty cool. Clearly, the people wanted this museum. Cincinnati architect James W. McLaughlin was hired to design the building, and he chose the Romanesque revival architectural style. The museum officially opened on May 17, 1886, and is still open today, making it one of the oldest public art museums in the United States. The displays have changed over the years, and additions have been made to the building over the last 136 years. So many changes that it's actually hard to make out the original structure. The dome, tower, and west facade are the only original elements visible. The building was made from local blue limestone, red granite from Missouri, and Bay of Fundy polished granite makes up the columns. The windows were made from large sheets of polished plate glass, and red acron tiles were used on the roof. They say the Bay of Fundy is a paradise for geologists, so this is some pretty cool granite to get a hold of, apparently. Oh, interesting. The area dates back hundreds of millions of years, and there's fossils and zeolites in there. There's amethyst, agate, calcite, coal, copper, jasper, all kinds of stuff going on there. Dang, I want some kitchen counters with some amethyst and calcite in it. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> The Art Academy of Cincinnati relocated to the museum in 1887, and the first big addition came in 1907 when the Schmidlap Wing was opened. This wing was named for Emma Louise Schmidlap, who was the daughter of financier and philanthropist Jacob Schmidlap. He did this as a memorial for Emma, who was killed in a train crash along with her mother in February of 1900. This addition was designed by Chicago architect Daniel Burnham in the Doric style. A corridor gallery attaches this to the main building. In 1910, the rope swing was added because of bequeaths from sisters Eliza and Mary Ropes. It was designed by Cincinnati architects Garber and Woodward. More additions came in the 1930s with the Emery Wing, named for Cincinnati philanthropists Thomas and Mary Emery, and the Hannah and French Wings were also added at that time. These were also designed by Garber and Woodward. 
The courtyard was enclosed and the museum took on a more rectangular shape. That courtyard would be officially named the Alice Bimmel Courtyard in 2004 in honor of a longtime museum volunteer. Frederick H. Alms was a founder of the Alms and Dope Dry Goods Company, and his widow, Eleonora, bequeathed money for the Alms Wing in 1937, which was designed by local architects Rendigs, Panzer, and Martin. The main entrance was moved in the 1950s, and that is the entrance that is still used today. The Great Hall was divided into two floors at this time as well. The Adams Emery Wing was built in 1965. A two-year, 13 million renovation started in 1993. The Great Hall was returned to its 1886 appearance. A staircase that had been demolished was rebuilt. The first floor of the Adams Emery Wing became the Cincinnati Wing in 2003. It's dedicated to Cincinnati's art history. The Longworth Wing was opened in 2013 and named for Joseph Longworth, a significant figure in the history of the Art Academy and Museum. The Rosenthal Education Center opened in 2015. The CAM, which is what they call the museum, is part of the Monuments Men and Women Museum Network, launched in 2021 by the Monuments Men Foundation for the Preservation of Art. The collections in the museum span 6,000 years of human history and include over 67,000 pieces. This is the largest collection in Ohio. There also seems to be a collection of spirits here. Employees and visitors claim to see mysterious orbs and figures. A painting of a woman with a leer is said to sometimes sing in French. A Samuel Best clock in the Cincinnati wing no longer has its bells, but people say that it still manages to chime. A ghost rises from a mummy displayed in the Antiquities Gallery. This usually looks like a black mist that rises to the ceiling and disappears. A storage closet above this area was used by security guards to catch a break in a nap. One day, a guard awakened to see a menacing head floating directly in front of him. He tried to get to the door, but the head kept blocking him. It took several minutes for him to escape, and he was done working for the museum. Hey, that's one way for the managers to keep people on task. I just had a total flash of Oz, the great Oz, when it's just his floating head. <laughs> oh, that's true. <laughs> and isn't that interesting that the name of the mall was the Land of Oz? This is true. There is a legend that someone hanged themselves from the third floor balcony in the main room. People claim to see this hanging figure on occasion. And the women's bathrooms have several stories, of course. In the Dutch gallery, women with long hair feel as if someone is pulling their hair. Russell Eyrig shared stories from staff at the museum with Local Station 12 in 2019. He said, In the Great Hall, they'll see sort of shadowy figures moving around on the staircases and on the balconies. And they kind of disappear and they move all around. I've had guards tell me about a woman that walked past them in a certain staircase when they were closing, and they said, oh, we're closing, ma'am. And then when they looked again, she was gone. Another group of people heard someone cough, and they turned around and they didn't see anybody, and all they could hear was the whispering and someone saying, Frank. Don't know who they were talking about. Also, people have seen a sort of hooded figure, which many interpret to be a monk, in that room rising up and floating through the space. Russell shared a story on an interview he did with the Cincinnati Museum Center that was chilling. A security guard who worked the desk in the morning would always say good morning to another guard named Rosemary, who would walk past him in the morning. She would greet him warmly. One morning, she passed the front desk without responding to his greeting, and he wondered what was wrong. Later in the break room, he wondered aloud to the other guards, Anybody know what is Rosemary's issue today? She walked past me this morning without responding to my greeting. The guards looked at each other, and one of them said, Well... Rosemary died last night. 
Oh my word. <laughs> I would have been like, I think I uh, might have actually peed my pants right in that moment. Museums are such fun places. There are some interesting stories connected to these two complexes dedicated to the art and history of Cincinnati. Are Cincinnati's Union Terminal and Art Museum haunted? That, that is for you to, to decide. decide. A couple more places to check out in Cincinnati. I always love art museums because they not only are full of wonderful and great art inside, but the buildings are usually very interesting, too. Yeah, most definitely. And this one has ghosts, so even better. <laughs> want you guys to check out our website at historyghostbump.com. And if you want to send us some feedback, you can do that at historyghostbump at gmail.com. Edward sent us an email and he was suggesting some future locations for us, which we've jotted down. And then he also wanted to share experiences. One paranormal story I can share is about my uncle. We both shared a fascination with the paranormal and we always talked about ghosts and other things. While I was in the Marine Corps, I got the call that he had passed away. I made arrangements to get home in time for the funeral, but I had to catch up on inputting safety reports into the database. I worked late into the night the day before I was to fly home. I took a break and said aloud, Uncle Joe, I'm going to miss you. And at that very moment, a clipboard fell off the wall. What makes this so unusual is that the clipboard was hung on a nail pointing up. The nail was still in the wall. In order for it to fall off the wall, it would have had to have been lifted up. There were no windows, so there was no draft, and I was the only one in the office. I was not scared, but I did pack up and go home. Wow. I always love it when people share stories about that when they have an interaction with a family member. Yeah, definitely. Chris wrote us and said, Hi, Diane and Kelly. I'm usually way too shy to do this, but I wanted to drop a note and say that I really enjoy your podcast. It was among the first podcasts I ever listened to and has been almost four years now. Yours is also the first podcast I listen to in the morning when I'm dragging myself to my desk at work. Both of you have this infectious, cheerful attitude that makes it impossible to start the day in a bad mood. Isn't that cool? Aw, thank you. I was listening to your latest episode on Ellicott City, and you mentioned the Enchanted Forest theme park. It reminded me of this old roadside attraction on the side of the 95, just south of Woodbridge, Virginia. It was called Storybook Land. By the time I was in elementary school, it was already closed down. Whenever we would get close, I would keep my eyes peeled for the mysterious, colorful little cottages that were being slowly enshrouded and consumed by the forest. Makes me wonder if that was the beginning of my interest in abandoned. Well, everything. And then she's been to the Jerome Grand Hotel in Jerome, Arizona, and she said, About 20 years ago, my husband and I were enjoying lunch outside on the front patio. When I went inside to find a restroom, the staff must have been in the kitchen because it was empty. When you walk in, there's a hallway that runs all the way back to the hotel area. I was in one of the side dining rooms searching for the facilities when I heard someone clearly walking down the hall. I popped out to ask them directions, but no one was there. The entire hall was empty and all the doors were closed. It was unnerving, but things were urgent. I still ducked into the restroom in the hallway when I noticed it there. Yes, my spirit friend wanted to lead me in the right direction. <laughs> Perhaps. And then Kimberly wrote, she said, hello, ladies, absolutely love your show. I was just playing catch up and heard several episodes talking about Peggy versus Margaret for nicknames. My aunt had three Aunt Ruths when she was little. Somehow she could not keep this straight in her young head. So they ended up calling them Aunt Ruth, Aunt Ruthie and Aunt Booby. Okay. <laughs> aunt Booby was called that until well after her death in her 80s. And that is certainly odd. <laughs> love it. Thanks for sharing all those. We love hearing from you guys. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Kelly. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode is brought to you by our executive producers. Dispatches from the Grave Digger. We want to thank Sam Skillington for raising her donation. She's going to be moving into a mausoleum. She's been giving to us for a long time. 
And uh, we even have Morgan's artwork up in the uh, studio. Yes, we do. So uh, Morgan is going to have to do some artwork for the mausoleum as well. I would say so. And thank you so much for supporting our show. Yes, we definitely appreciate it very much. Be sociable. Drop the chain rattling, neck biting, and shape shifting, and join us on Facebook and Twitter at History Goes Bump. Like the page and follow us. complex had 22 buildings covering 287 acres with the main storage. Nope. There are several. Nope. The interior of the terminal was very bright with lots of white. Nope. All of a sudden you started clutching at your chest and I'm like, what's going on? Spider, spider. No, it's just your hair going down your shirt. Kelly. <laughs> I was clutching my pearls. Behind the mullions is a... Behind the mule. The pattern flowed in such a way that it guided people to and from the main entrance and flap. Flap forms. Gonna go on the flap forms. <laughs> and then a flash of blue, and she was sure it was Shirley. Don't call me Shirley. <laughs> the museum. Museum? <laughs> the museum! <laughs> Where's my mucinex? <laughs> The Longworth Ring. Ring, 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 ring. <laughs> I knew one of us was going to end up saying ring instead of wing. 